0: Hi all and welcome to the first UMC podcast. I'm Nikki
1: and I'm Wayne.
0: We're here to talk to you and with you about spirituality and faith, church and community. Every other week we are going to be here answering questions, sharing interviews and just having fun.
1: We're located in Auburn, Indiana, but we have no clue where each and every listener may be joining from. So no matter who you are or where you are, you're welcome here and we hope you're ready to learn and grow with us.
0: We are so glad you're here. All right, everyone. Well, we still don't know what to call this section of the podcast. It's the quick Q&A slash updates slash whatever. Um, But this week, actually, I learned something fun. Uh, So if I haven't said so already, The Office is my favorite show probably of all time. Um, And I found out that Michael Scott, the uh, boss, the world's best boss, shares his birthday with my real life best friend. So March 15th is... Um, the eyes of march it's michael scott's fake birthday and it's courtney's real birthday so it just made that day even more special for me um i know you don't know who courtney is but you you hopefully have a courtney in your life someone who you love and loves you very much um and also this week this one i'm excited about because we actually have a saints day to talk about we're going to celebrate saint patrick's day and so i looked up some super official facty facts about St. Patrick's Day, and I went to history.com because it seemed more legit than just like doing a Google search. (laughs) Even though I did Google to find history.com, but I just didn't go to Wikipedia. So um, here are some things about St. Patrick. And I I know a lot of us, we have like, we know traditions and legends about him, but I was trying to find some official stuff. So we celebrate on March 17th. It's the anniversary of his death in the fifth century. Um, The Irish have observed this day as a religious holiday for over a thousand years, which is just like pretty astounding to me.
1: It's a long time.
0: It is! Like, yeah. And I I still feel like, especially in America, we don't have really a concept of, like, ancient and and things being that long. Um, But anyway, so I thought that was cool. On St. Patrick's Day, which falls during the Christian season of Lent, Irish families would traditionally attend church in the morning and celebrate in the afternoon. Um, Lenten prohibitions um, are against consumption of meat, but those are waived on that day. So the people would dance and drink and feast on the traditional meal of Irish bacon and cabbage, which doesn't sound like super yummy to me.
1: The bacon part
0: sounds. The ba- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder what's different about Irish bacon.
1: But so they get a waiver for Lent. Mm-hmm. How do we? How do we get on that? Anyway?
0: Well, and I—I <laughs> I probably should have looked this up too, but um, and I—I've never really been around a Catholic community, but on Fridays during Lent, like, fish-fried sort of thing. That's true. So I don't know that's what the dealio is with that, but um, I don't think Methodists have any Lenten stuff. It just kind of depends on where you are. Um, but yeah, so that's what they get to do on that day. St. Patrick lived during the 5th century. He's the patron saint of Ireland, and uh, it's national apostle. He was born in Roman Britain, which I learned in seminary. I just always assumed he was Irish. He's not. He was born in Britain, and he was kidnapped and brought to Ireland as a slave at the age of sixteen. So, that's a right. crazy thing. He later escaped, but he returned to Ireland and was credited with bringing Christianity to its people. Um, so, in the centuries following his death, the mythology around his life became um, ever more ingrained in Irish culture, and I think in like popular culture and our imagination. And so, probably all of you know about Saint Patrick and that he explained the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by using the three leaves of the native Irish clover or the shamrock. Um, now, one of the things I did want to point out is that's not a foolproof way to talk about the Trinity. Um, there isn't a, a perfect way because our language is very limited how do you describe a mystery of God with any of our human words. Um, But there is a funny video on YouTube about the different Trinitarian heresies. So if you want to deep dive on that, you can search on YouTube for Lutheran satires. Or just Google, that's modalism, Patrick. And the video will probably pop up. But yeah, so I was thinking about St. Patrick's Day. And Wayne, I was curious. Are there any traditions, any things that you remember about St. Patrick's Day from growing up? Or things you really like about it?
1: I mean, (laughs) well, I didn't as a kid really know much about St. Patrick, (laughs) but certainly remember probably what everyone else does, the whole pinching thing when you were a kid and making sure that you wore green, which honestly I was really bad at remembering St. Patrick's Day, so I always had to like either draw like a dot on my hand with a marker that was green or, you know, you could always like low-key find, you know, something that had a hint even though it wasn't the main color of whatever you were wearing so that you wouldn't get pinched. But then, of course, people always argued about if it's not actually clothing, if it's just a marker or a sticker doesn't count, does it not? So, yeah, some heavy theological debates over (laughs) what green counts and what green is is not legitimate.
0: Yeah, kids will really get intense about that stuff and like, don't get me started on colors, because um, my husband and I have an argument about what is blue and what is green. So, anyway, um...
1: So Aaron's walking around on St. Patrick's Day wearing blue.
0: Yeah, probably, because he doesn't know what colors are. Um, but you know and I was, when you mentioned the pinching thing, I do remember our principal, in third grade, um, somebody got pinched so hard that they bled, and so the rule became, like, you can't pinch on St. Patrick's Day. So every subsequent St. Patrick's, uh, our principal would come over the loudspeaker and say, like, let this be your reminder, there is no pinching allowed on St. Patrick's. And I would wonder, like, but every other day, like, we're good? We can pinch each other? Because, like, kids are terrible and, like, don't listen to what you tell them anyway. <laughs> or They'll just find a way to be rebellious. Um,
1: I'm surprised that didn't become an official thing. I feel like that would be a thing that kids would do. It's, like, all of a sudden the day after St. Patrick's Day becomes a day that you pinch everybody mm-hmm. because now we've made it a specific rule you can't on this day.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, kids are I know we all were kids. We weren't terrible kids, no. But kids are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I loved wearing green because it's my favorite color. So I usually was like lucky I was wearing green anyway. But I did learn—I don't remember when—if it was college or or seminary—that um, really as Protestants, if you're a Protestant, you should wear orange, not green, because green is the Catholic color. So that was a fun little so stupid debate. Why is debate. orange
1: the Protestant color?
0: I don't know. I don't. I didn't look at. But yeah, so that is, don't pinch anyone on St. Patrick's Day, but that is your St. Patrick's Day deep dive. Um, And I'd be curious to know from any of you if you have a fun St. Patrick's Day story or something. Because I know there's a lot more about St. Patrick's Day that I don't know. Like in Chicago they turn the river green and all that stuff.
1: But They do that in Indianapolis too.
0: They do. I need to live more, apparently. Or learn learn more about the Saints. Um, But he's a really popular one. And I'm like there's so many, so many fun saints. So I'll do my best as a resident nerd to bring more saints, uh, to your to your brains for you. So yeah. There's that. And are there any birthdays or anything you want to share, Wayne?
1: <laughs> um, so Carrie Underwood is low key. I just like love her as a person. I think she's beautiful inside <laughs> and out, has an amazing voice. Mm-hmm. I remember when she first auditioned for American Idol. Um, but yeah, her birthday is March 10th, so, oh. yeah, so I had to bring, bring her up as a March birthday, and yep, learned that, but other than that, no, for birthdays,
0: that's, that's four really important, well, I guess St. Patrick's was, he wasn't born, he died on the 17th, but three important birthdays, four important dates.
1: And isn't it, yeah, I guess we always celebrate, I feel like Saints, it's always like when they die. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of sad. When I When you think about it. I was thinking but... about that
0: too. Like, why is it the death date that we um, we lift up? Maybe we don't know when they were born? All of them? Maybe. I don't know.
1: But I guess people don't really become... You can't really become a saint until you're dead, so...
0: Yeah, and even then, they can test it.
1: Yeah, that's so, tough work. Yeah, we have a, we have so many
0: <laughs> arguments we have to have about people. Oh my, well... There you go, that's your quick QA update whatever section.
1: All right, it is time for us to dig into our main topic for today, and this is a QA and a session. So we got a question, and the specific question that was asked from a listener, a congregant, we don't know, maybe someone in the community, was what scriptures would be helpful in understanding the issue of homosexuality? So this is a huge topic, um, especially it's hotly debated right now in the United Methodist denomination that we're a part of. Um, So it's, it's really big. There's a lot of intersectional issues that go into it when we talk about homosexuality and the church and everything else. And so we're actually going to take two full podcast episodes to hopefully do some justice to addressing this issue and just getting people to really examine and look at the passages and and think about theologically how do we approach this subject with with grace and love Mm -hmm. um, and unity hopefully.
0: Yeah yeah and as Wayne said this is um, a big subject and we want to take as much time as we can to um, do it justice cover everything we can you know we're we're not experts by any means Um, we care very deeply about Love and grace and justice for everyone, and uh, so what we're gonna share, um, this doesn't represent in any way like an official view of the UMC or anyone else but us. Um, so we've done some prep and conversation together and, and on our own, you know, to share that with you. But um, yeah, we're gonna do our best today. We're gonna we're gonna focus in this section or this this part of the this first part on um, language. And also some of the scripture passages that come into play with this. And then um, we are going to talk about what the Bible is actually saying when it brings up homosexuality or um, those words in the Hebrew and the Greek. And then we'll save some other bigger things for the next part.
1: Yeah. And so just so people know, too, um, if you haven't picked up on it already, um, so I am... A married out gay male and I am working on my calling um to ordained ministry um in the church and trying to navigate that you know right now that pathway isn't open to me in the United Methodist Church um so I have lived this experience of what it's like to be part of the LGBTQ community um in the church especially working for a church um and what that looks like so I will also probably bring some of just my personal like experiences and how I've kind of wrestled and worked through some of these things too because I was not always affirming it of myself of my own identity um, so that'll probably play into some of this as we go throughout it too mm-hmm. and I think it opens up kind of the first thing that we really wanted to talk about is moving away from the language of, let's talk about the, the homosexuality issue, right? Mm-hmm. Or even debate. And I think, first of all, for those who don't know, and I don't think anyone is necessarily ill intentioned when they use the word homosexual, but in the LGBTQ community, um, honestly, it's easier if you say either LGBTQ or queer or gay, um, homosexual is, generally known to be like a more derogatory term because actually the church has so used that particular term um, in harmful ways. Mm-hmm. So just something to keep in mind because I, again I don't think a lot of people use the term and mean for it to be hurtful or harmful um, but to some people in the community, it certainly would be. And I think it's important to remember, too, that this isn't just an issue or a debate that a church or a denomination is having. This is people. Mm -hmm. These are people's lives, and um, people do get really hurt um, in these discussions. And so I think the first thing for us to remember as, as humans, as Christians especially, is that we are talking about real people with real feelings and emotions and investment, um, in these discussions. And so rather than just saying, this is an issue that we're talking about, we need to remember we're, we're talking about real people's lives. Um, so I just want to bring that up right from the beginning.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it's really important because I think people struggle to talk about things we consider like hot button or, um, controversial whatever in general and so we shy away from asking questions and being vulnerable with each other and even you know i'm I'm sure this whole this whole talk could be triggering for for some of us for lots of different reasons um you know i didn't grow up in the church but when i started going as a teenager this was something that was really pushed on us um with the purity culture things some of you who have experienced that like you'll know what i'm talking about uh Saving yourself for marriage, like all this, kind of came as a package deal. And I was told over and over again, "These are the reasons we don't do these things, and this is why you can't be gay." And I was like, "But, but why?" But there was never like really deep discussion about it. It's like, well, that's just what the Bible says. And so, if we don't have spaces, whether in the church or outside of it, where we can actually dig in and talk to each other, even if it's a little uncomfortable, we're not going to grow. Um, and for others who have been told one thing by the church for years and years and years to then have a different discussion is really challenging so um like we said we're going to do our best um to unpack a little bit of this but we also understand that there's there's a lot going on with this for some of us and so um, whether you're in the church or out of it maybe just listen with ears that are more open and more understanding uh, towards yourself and towards others um, because even though we're talking about one topic today, that doesn't mean we can't apply the same grace and care and love with other things.
1: And I think, yeah, the most important thing when when having these discussions or discussions about any, like, big issues, whether it's racism or um, mm-hmm. sexism, anything like that, is, is we really need to lean into grace, because like Nikki is saying, sometimes we shy away from these conversations because we're afraid of saying the wrong thing or people getting offended and and if we can just allow each other to have some grace and be open to being educated without being defensive and just allowing people to just yeah sometimes you might say the wrong thing even as part of the lgbtq community i can't pretend to speak for or know everything especially about like the trans community I've had to do a lot of self-educating about that specific part. Um, So just reminding everyone that we all have more to learn, but it's okay to make mistakes. And the most important thing is just that we are talking and having honest conversation about these topics. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and with with that, we'll move into um, kind of the next part. And so some of you may be familiar with the uh, language of, like, clobber passages. These are parts of the Bible or scriptures that um, have caused harm. Um, there's also the phrase "texts of terror that is is used, um, and those are scriptures, passages, stories that um, have been used against um, different communities by the church. So um, right off the top in considering um, like theology for human sexuality and and all that, I wanna recommend a book that's been incredibly helpful for my own learning, um, really helpful for um, having conversations about this with others, especially in the church. And it's called Holy Love. Its author is Steve Harper. Steve, um, I haven't got to meet him personally, but I've heard him speak a couple times. And he's a really incredible person. He's got an amazing story um, about his growth and transformation um, around this topic specifically. And he shares that in his book, Holy Love. Um, the subtitle for it is A Biblical Theology for Human Sexuality. And I really can't recommend it enough. Um, it's not so like intellectual. You can't understand it at all. It's not a long book either. So it's really good. He wrote it with churches in mind and groups in mind to work through. Um, and he, uh, he outlines... Um, a good lens of uh, you for approaching this from a position of inclusion for all people. And this is actually the first time in my life and faith journey that I've read a book just like this. It was always reading something from the other side, like, well, here's what, um, here's why not to, but this was like, this is why we should be inclusive or can't be. So I really, it was really refreshing for me. Um, And before we talk about any passages specifically in scripture that are against, um, against anything, I want to remind us to think about the whole scope of scripture. Um, if you are familiar with the Bible, there's a lot of stuff in there, but predominantly the themes are love and forgiveness, grace, inclusion, growth. There's a lot more of that than there is, um, the denial, the restriction, those kinds of things. Uh, it's really easy to pull out scriptures and use them any kind of way you want. Um, you know, and I, I'm a female in ministry. And so there've been plenty of times things have been said to me literally. like, well, this is what the word says, but is that what the word means? Um, and are we doing justice to a passage or a scripture by pulling it out of its context in every way and just using it against each other? Not entirely sure that's, the best move so um, if you are a scripture reading person I invite you to do that work look look at all the scriptures there are not just um, the few that relate to what you're trying to get into I guess um, but with that said there are five passages that are consistently looked at um, as clobber passages the ones that speak directly against um, same sex activity um, and two of those are found in Leviticus. It's Leviticus 18, 22, and Leviticus 20, 13. And then there is 1 Corinthians chapter six, verses nine through 10. 1 Timothy, um, chapter one, verse 10, Romans one. And this one's a bit longer of a passage, but it's Romans one verses 18 through 32. And then I actually forgot to write down the, uh, direct spot for this but um a story i'm sure a lot of us are familiar of whether or not we're in the church is sodom and gomorrah um so we want to talk about that specifically and kind of unpack what's going on in, in all these
1: and that's actually genesis 19.
0: genesis 19. <laughs> and you told me earlier and i forgot to write it down so genesis 19 for that one
1: so in looking at all of these these scriptures i mean i think the first thing that i want to do um, when we talk about the like so so-called, you know, clobber passages, um, is just, again, think about these texts, and not just them in isolation, but remember what the overall picture of the particular book, or the message of the letter that they were coming out of, and I think starting at the beginning, right, Genesis, with the Sodom and Gomorrah story, because this one, more so than the others, is one that although it is pretty widely known, and we get the word like sodomite Mm -hmm. from this part of scripture, it really has the least foundation or basis in this argument. Um, Because when we do really look at biblically what was going on in this story, it's not about homosexuality. Um, We see, again, that scripture affirms multiple times that their true sin was the lack of hospitality. Mm -hmm. It's the way that they mistreated these visitors who came. And the reality is, if we take this story literally and all these people surround this house, right, not everybody in that whole town could possibly have been gay, right? (laughs) Just statistically, (laughs) let me tell you, (laughs) we're like 10% of the population, so... (laughs) Um, probably not the truth. And, um, even then, you know, there's the whole part of, of giving the daughters over to them. And so really, Mm -hmm. if anything, it's, it's nothing to do with the specific, you know, um, homosexual or gay acts or activities. It's just this inhospitable, inhospitable nature of people and Mm -hmm. this out of control, like lust and sexual urges regardless of who it's with or what's happening that's going on here. So there isn't anything here that really seems specific um, that we should ground ourselves biblically in saying this is definitely um, something where Scripture is talking about, you know, homosexuality being wrong. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I should have pulled up, I have the citations here, but I didn't look up exactly what these um, Scriptures say. But I know Leviticus, um, both of those passages from there, they are nearly identical. Um, And taking into consideration the context of that book, like this, the book of Leviticus is um, centered on setting the people apart. So they're, um, it's like the holy code, the holiness code. Um, They're trying to, the priests are trying to teach the people like this is what it means to be God's chosen, to be set aside. And in the midst of all these other peoples and cultures and practices and things, this is what sets you apart and makes you special um, and holy. So it is really um, intense language, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you are just kind of brushing through, you're like, oh, wow, that's really mean. But then when you look at the whole of the Old Testament scriptures, you'll see Leviticus will say one thing, but Deuteronomy will say something different. So there's even, even from book to book, there are, um discrepancies um like welcome the widow and the orphan and the immigrant among you and then other places no don't do that so um trying to grab just a couple of these say well look this is what this says that doesn't again just not doesn't mean that's what it means um and the words there are also important one of the things too we wanted to point out was um the word homosexual was not found in the Bible until 1946. So if we are, are saying you know, the Bible was written over thousands of years, thousands of years ago, and then this word didn't show up, this translation didn't show up until 1946, like that's pretty late in the game to start pinpointing this and saying, this is what this means exactly. Um, I'm kind of jumping ahead of us a little bit here, but One of the big things um, in this discussion is how is marriage, how is love, how is a relationship defined? And are we saying that what we understand to be a loving, committed, monogamous relationship now was the same as when all these different pieces of scripture were being written and put together? Um, Because that's a pretty big, it's a pretty big jump and our cultures are very different today than they were then so um i should have opened up my my book before now um yeah did, did you have something specific on those two leviticus ones
1: yeah i think when we look at the the two levitical and anytime we're talking about leviticus and levitical law right like nikki was saying it's about being and making sure that israel was set apart as a nation um that they were maintaining fidelity to, to God, and so a lot of the prohibitions, too, when we think about it, are to make sure that there is that set-apartness, and many of the pagan religions that existed during that same time, um, a lot of their religious practices um, had sexual rituals that were involved, temple prostitution, things like that, so part of the reason why these boundaries get set um, is because, again, Israel is not to look like mm-hmm. these other nations and some of their practices, not to mention the fact that at that time, you know, procreation was important. I mean, the whole point of, you know, God's covenant with Abraham, right, is he's starting, God is creating this nation that is supposed to be a light and a beacon uh, to, for other nations, and you can't have a nation without people. Um, So these are all things to think about when we look at historically and contextually why these things might exist in Leviticus. And then we also need to remember, and some people are divided on, like, what Levitical laws endure and still apply, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. one of the things is kids aren't supposed to, you know, be disrespectful to your parents. And if you are, then, well, you can get stoned. Like, I don't think anyone today would ever go so far as saying like disrespectful and unruly kids deserve that kind of punishment um and so we need to ask ourselves right there's a context to a lot of these things there's a reason why they existed then but does that endure and does that apply to us still today does that make sense for our culture today um and so just to be fair we need to ask that same question even when we look at these particular passages and, and think about, are, is what they're actually talking about what we understand to be you know monogamous, committed relationship between two men, two women, whatever the case may be? And I think the answer is, is no, that's not what they were talking about then. And probably we'll talk about this more, but not what they were really talking about in any of these passages that we're going to talk about in this episode right
0: well and i was actually listening to um a a jewish scholar the other day and she's not necessarily a person of faith even though she is jewish but she studies the old and new testament um and actually is a new testament professor but uh, she was talking about how she's always found it interesting um, between like the jewish and the christian communities how um, we'll argue about things but we don't really have like a really robust understanding, and it's just, like, if we, if you love someone, then you want to know about the places they came from, and um, just like all those little stories of their life, the background, the the history and stuff. And so with Jesus, if we say we love Jesus as Christians, um, or love anything, then we we are going to live in a different way, and like we're going to study this stuff. And that doesn't mean all of us go become pastors or biblical scholars or whatever. Um, but there are so many resources to do good study without having to be, um, you know, like a graduate student, a PhD level, whatever. Um, and we're going to share some of those with you. And like I said, holy love is one that's been super helpful to me. I'm not going to, uh, try to pronounce these words in Hebrew. There was a time in my life I probably could have, but that is not today. Um, but specifically in these Leviticus passages, what is, um, the word that gets translated, to, um, uh, or it gets pulled out to be used against um, the LGBTQ community is, uh, it means being promiscuous. So we would say today, sleeping around. Um, This is not, again, this is not a sacred, faithful, or a monogamous act. Um, So even though same-sex behavior is being pinpointed specifically between Two men um, we wouldn't say that anyone should do this like man and woman woman and woman male and male so um being able to look at these words and understand what they mean is really helpful for unpacking what's being talked about and learning the bigger picture of what's going on um and then we we can kind of we can look at first corinthians and first timothy together um mm-hmm. because again, those are the same words being used there in the Greek. Um, and just for the sake of some context, the first Corinthians passage reads like this, "Don't you know that people who are unjust will inherit God's kingdom? Don't be deceived. Those who are sexually immoral, those who worship false gods, adulterers, both participants in same-sex intercourse, Thieves, the greedy, drunks, abusive people, and swindlers won't inherit God's kingdom. So in that... And that's the common English Bible translation. So in that passage, there's a couple different Greek words that are being used there. Um, but the essence of, of it is this is unbridled lust. So this is people mm-hmm. who are... Um, again, this is not... Sacred, faithful, devoted, monogamous um, activity. So at least in my understanding, we wouldn't want anyone to act this way. So to level it against just one group of people is not being super true to that passage or the heart of that, that letter even.
1: I think it's important to remember because sometimes, you know, and I'm sure there's And when we get to Romans, we'll talk about this, too, um, Mm -hmm. when it talks about giving up what is natural and things like that. And I think the thing to remember is when it seems like it's pulling out these um, kind of same-sex sexual actions, and if we're just talking about being promiscuous in general, why does that seem to be the case? And I think it's important uh, to remember that, I mean, the general mode of thinking about sexual activity would have been, a man and a woman right and that's still true today like even you know just the reality of it is like i said lgbtq individuals were a smaller portion of the population certainly so the general expected normative thing that we fall into is man and woman and so when we start talking about sexual excess and i think particularly in biblical times when you see men having sex with men and women and in that culture, then it appears, right, that now we're just having an excess of of sexual energy that's not being controlled, that's not being guarded, that isn't committed, that's not monogamous. It's just like an overflow. It's inappropriate, it's giving into a really lustful um, part of yourself. And so that's the perception um, culturally that would have been seen at that time So I think that's an important thing to remember, again, that I think the theme that we'll see often is that these verses are really talking about uncontrolled lust, sexual urges that we in society today, again, as Nikki said, would consider inappropriate, no matter who it's with, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, or what sex the person is.
0: Yeah, And and maybe we should have started here too, but um i think something else that inhibits good conversation about this is just we're really uncomfortable talking about sexuality period mm-hmm. it especially in the church um and i mean and that's not like i don't want that to be like taken as a good or a bad thing right like we don't always need to talk about um things that are uncomfortable but maybe we shouldn't Maybe we should examine why we're so comfortable about that. Um, again, this is something that I learned from Harper's book, Holy Love. Sexuality is an energy before it's an expression. We are all created for relationships. Um, but sexual relationships are not the only kind of relationship that there is. And um, that desire for connection, for love and sharing, um, it can... It can go sideways, even in friendships. We can treat each other really terribly that way, um, and whether that's, um, you know, a female to a female, a male to a male, whatever, like that's not okay either. Um, and just being comfortable talking about we are sexual beings. Like, there, there is a reason beyond procreation for why sexuality is a part of of who and what what we are is as created beings. Um, and, yeah, I, I didn't do any, like, rigorous study on this before, and I was kind of going off the cuff, but that's also an important part to this. We need to be okay saying that sexuality is a part of life, um, and that can help us maybe get, get into um, these conversations better without being like, oh, you can't talk about that. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to.
1: Yeah, and I think we definitely do because I think part of... The problem with this um, topic and discussion oftentimes gets in the fact that the church has not done a good job at developing a healthy theology of sexuality Mm -hmm. um, and what that looks like and what it means and do we believe that, yeah, that sex is only for procreative purposes and I think the answer is clearly no and we'll get more into that later. Um, So what is healthy sexuality? And again, looking at these verses, whether it's, you know, the Romans, whether it's 1 Corinthians, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Thinking about, again, culture at the time and Roman culture. um, A lot of what they're talking about, a lot of what they're guarding against what Paul is talking about is sex was a lot about power and subjugation. That's true even in the Old Testament um and it was you know if you rape if you pillage people that is a power play Mm -hmm. and again it goes back to masculine culture and patriarchy and all of that gets wrapped up in this because to be you know a man if you're in you know a more passive position sexually right that's dishonor that's Mm -hmm. not okay that's too effeminate, and you're not supposed to do that. Um, And women were seen as, again, lacking power, and it was all subjugative, and that's just not healthy. Like, none of that is healthy. Um, And so that's what we need to remember, is that really, if we want to talk about good sexual ethics, we miss so much of what these verses are trying to teach us Mm -hmm. when we make it just about the LGBTQ community, because it's really not about that. It's really about, yes, sex is part of who we are in creation, and it shouldn't be about power. It should not be about subjugation. Um, We shouldn't be having sexual acts without the consent of the other person, Um, and that's what these are really trying to teach us, but because we get focused on just this one aspect that really misses the mark, I think we lose a lot of good theology that we could be getting from these verses
0: Mm-hmm. and, and we miss when, when we make it about any specific group of people especially the lgbtq community like we miss the other abuses and just um ways of living that God does not intend I mean if yeah I there's there's so much I could jump off and, and say about that but we miss so much by not really digging in and translation is a huge part of this. Mm -hmm. And so for, for some of us, we only know the translation that we were brought up with or we were shared with. And there are a lot of different translations and there's, um, arguments among scholars about how things should be translated. So these are not always cut and dry, um, issues or, or topics by any means. Um, we just we miss a lot when we don't dig in and do the work, and that's like even beyond helping us have a a better and a good theology, we miss the opportunity to actually care and bring justice for people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even when you know Nikki was talking about the, the word homosexual wasn't really introduced into uh, the Bible until you know the the late forties is the reality that before that, yeah, the words used were generally more applied toward just a kind of sexual, like, uncontrolled urges, um, oftentimes, or even, like, males who would kind of prey on younger boys and children, because, again, going back to temple prostitution Mm -hmm. and what that looked like, often it was younger males and so again it's about power subjugation rape and nobody gay or otherwise looks at that and says that that is healthy like we all agree that that is wrong um that that is certainly sinful that no good fruit comes from that um and so i think it's it's important to to keep that in mind when we look at these passages and really ask ourselves again what what is trying to be said here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the last uh, clobber package okay, package, passage, <laughs> goodness gracious, um, my brain, <laughs> um, is from Romans, and that's that's the lengthiest one. Um, Romans 1, 18 through 32. And this is where um, the language that Paul uses is, like, they traded natural behavior for unnatural behavior. Um and this was something that was so uh like you know how sometimes it takes somebody else to like see something and say something to you before you can like see it for yourself? When I read um Harper's take on this, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like kind of been right in front of me the whole time. Paul is not talking about gay people here. He's talking to heterosexual mm-hmm. folks who are acting in a way that is against their personhood, like against their, um, their orientation, if if you will. So, I was like, well, duh, like that. I, I don't know. Um, it just really put on a light bulb for me about that because this is the one I think I've heard um, the most about, and like used yep. the most. Or like some people are like, well, I can I can figure out the other ones, but this Romans one, that's where like the hang up is for me. Um, but yeah, that was just again I told you I'm leaning very very heavily on his his work but that was just like oh yes that makes so much sense
1: yeah and there are um, multiple different views on kind of how to interpret um what Paul is saying here Mm -hmm. um and we'll give you more resources for that people much smarter and um, more eloquent than us (laughs) to unpack some of those things but yeah Nikki is right like when I think, like, if I read this verse as, you know, a gay man, my natural inclination is toward men. That is my natural inclination. So if I'm giving up what's natural to me, then I would be giving up in like my attraction to men. Um, and so here he is talking right to heterosexual individuals. And again, it's that kind of uncontrolled sexual energy and desire, this hedonistic, like, I can have power, I deserve whatever I want. Um, and so these people who it appears that their natural inclination would be for the opposite sex are now just having sex with with anyone, man, woman, it really doesn't matter. Um, and so we've lost any sense of, of boundary or mm-hmm. respect for... Um, what that is, and the sacredness that does exist in that sexual companionship.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what else we can. I mean, well, there's a lot more we could say, I'm sure. But honestly, I feel like for everyone, just like getting a book, finding a place, or, or a good resource to dig through on your own, um, because obviously we're a little biased. <laughs> <laughs> in how we're approaching this stuff, but um, there are there are good resources out there. Um, we're going to share some today and some more next time, too, where you can find things, but I would also encourage everyone to have someone to talk to, like, in person mm-hmm. about this, um, and maybe th- this can be a challenge for sure, but, like, talking to somebody who... Maybe it doesn't hold your exact view, but you trust and respect, and they trust and respect you, and you can kind of um, get get that, um, oh, I don't even know the right word. I don't want to say dissenting, but just an opposite opinion, mm-hmm. something to help sharpen where you're coming from. Um,
1: or kind of just round the edges of your thoughts a little yeah. bit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because, I mean, we'll talk about this more in our in our next episode, too, but I... Like I said, I was not always affirming of my own identity. I adopted, learned, I know the other side of the argument. And I do have some some sense of I, I get where people are coming from on the other side. And I don't think that it's, you know, if, if you aren't totally inclusive in affirming that you're a horrible human, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. So we'll definitely talk more about that Um, I think we primarily present, Nikki and I, our our personal opinion is is more inclusive um, view of scripture, Um, but again, I'm sympathetic to those who who struggle with this, I'm sympathetic to those who see an issue with it, Um, so we'll talk more about that, Um, but then I also wanted to bring up when we're looking at scripture, that scripture isn't all just these six passages Mm -hmm. against basically being lgbtq or same-sex activities um, or inclinations that in fact you know one of the things that i thought was really interesting is when we look at like eunuchs for example in scripture that they're a sexual minority Mm -hmm. and i think it's so fascinating that even in you know that early time biblical time like they recognize, and Jesus says, like, some people are made eunuchs, some people are born that way. Like, that's just crazy Mm -hmm. that, like, they realize that, like, yeah, that there was, that that happens, because I'm sure, right, that's not common today, and even in biblical times when we don't have the internet and everything else, right? But Mm -hmm. to have that knowledge and recognize that, and then some people choose to live as the eunuchs for God, Jesus says. But we see in Scripture when we look back to Deuteronomy in the beginning, the eunuchs were excluded from, you know, being part of, of of Judaism and they weren't accepted. And yet then we move forward and we see, honestly, as early as Isaiah, mm-hmm. that that door opens for them. And then we see in the New Testament, you know, Philip um, talks to, you know, the eunuch there. Yeah. And, and we just see, again, this trajectory of inclusion and acceptance for a sexual minority of that time, of that age. Mm -hmm. And so I do want us to look at and consider in Scripture that whether it's how we view, you know, biblically women, um, that as the story goes on, as we move closer and closer to the person of Jesus, the door always gets wider and more and more people are invited to the table and more and more people become included. And so I think that's just something important to recognize and to keep in mind when we have this discussion as well, is that, again, we see a movement toward God is tearing down barriers and revealing that God is really very inclusive of foreigners, of sexual minorities, of women, these people who are on the fringes, on the outcasts, of society
0: yeah and and like you said it's everyone's been there the whole time but as we get closer and closer to jesus and and even before like we can see those people are there um Mm -hmm. and and scripture doesn't hold every single story of everyone and there's i mean there's just there's so much and so um if you're a person who's ever felt like you weren't welcome at the table or you weren't included at the table. you are Mm -hmm. you are and it just unfortunately it takes time and persistence and um a lot of practice and grace and struggle to get there sometimes um and i you know like like i said i didn't grow up in the church when i really started getting like serious with my faith if that's uh the right way to describe it um I ask a lot of questions, and it's really annoying. And teachers hate me because of it. But I, you know, I couldn't reconcile a lot of the things I was being told with what I lived and experienced in my life. Um, so while the church told me that, you know, women can't be pastors, you can't be gay and be a Christian, I, that was not my lived experience because I had a call to ministry, and I, I am a woman, and I have so many friends who whether in the church or not, are faithful, loving, committed people to um, not only their partners, but what they do in their life. And, and sometimes we can't even say that for Christians. So um, I never, I, like Wayne said, I'm, I'm sympathetic to people on all sides of, of this, but um, since that was never where I landed entirely, it's, it's hard for me um, to completely wrap my brain around that. But that doesn't mean that um, I don't love and care for people wherever they are. So um, we have to hold on to that too. Um, but definitely, don't. I don't want you to think you have to have. You have to hold on to things that are toxic and harmful to you. So there are definitely times and places, with um, around all kinds of topics, where sometimes you just need to take take a step back from someone um, or from the church or whatever is causing you harm. Uh, because you are not deserving of, of harm or being treated like less than you are just for who you are, or what you believe. So um, for what that is worth, Whew. I'm out of breath because I'm pregnant, but also, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you all feel. We try to do, try to do a lot today. Um, and hopefully that was... Hopefully that was something. I often think during sermon writing that I really hope <laughs> God can take this mess and <laughs> make it something good. Um, so we, we hope that there is something helpful and constructive for you all. Um, next time we're going to talk about, okay, so now what? So with kind of a basic understanding of um, Scripture and the the context of what's being talked about when the Bible talks about this and those things, what do we do now? Why is this such a big, um, topic? Mm -hmm. And, and like, what are the theological and relational, um, aspects of this? It's like, Mm -hmm. how do we live with each other when we disagree? How do I stay in a loving and life giving relationship with another person, like a family member, a coworker or a church denomination? If we disagree about whether this is a sin or not. And that's, I mean, that's really kind of where the rubber hits the road um, for a lot of this. And as we said, the United Methodist Church, the denomination that we are a part of, um, we've been struggling with this for like 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so this isn't new, a, a new thing um, to wrestle over, but what does it mean to be in relationship when we disagree? So we're going to do our best to tackle that next episode. Um, oh, and we should do we want to leave them some resources today. Because Again, I've said this like a thousand times already, but Holy Love, cannot recommend that book enough. Um, unclobber.com is a really good website. And then when you had several others.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, Unclobber.com, which Nikki mentioned. There's also, uh, if you go to that website, there's a book um, that goes with that, too. Um, but that also is nice because it has a lot of free resources, videos, that really dig into these, um, these, especially the five verses that we mentioned. And, I mean, if you want a really thorough look at the original languages, um, the cultural context, unpacking that, um, he does. The gentleman's name is Colby Martin. He does a really good job at that. So it's a little, it's a little heady, but if that's where you want to go, um, it's a good, a good resource. Um, there's a book. It's short and sweet, kind of like Holy Love, called The Gospel of Inclusion by um, Brandon Robertson. That's been really good. So it really focuses on not just looking at, you know, the clobber pack passages, but, but like I said earlier, that there is a theme in the gospel that moves us toward inclusive theology, um, not just in this area, but in a lot of different areas, and he talks honestly about kind of the negative impacts and honestly the sinful results of that comes from the harm that we can do mm-hmm. when we take a really strong and almost hateful kind of theology of exclusion. Mm-hmm. So, um, Torn is another book by Justin Lee, um, that looks at a lot of the theology. God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines is a really good one that I think isn't too intellectual, but it still does a lot good unpacking of all of the issues and digs in and gets kind of scholarly without being too heavy. So, mm-hmm. I think all of those are great resources for people who want to maybe just kind of expand your viewpoints and 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 get some different perspectives on things
0: mm-hmm. yeah. and like we said that's a place to start um we'll have some more next time but um really just take good care of yourselves and um yeah for the people of faith pray and I mean that sincerely Um, maybe not so much talking to God, but like being open to how the spirit could talk to you through all of this, um, rely on the relationships you have and be willing to be a little vulnerable with each other and share the, the things you are thinking through and working through because it's how we grow. Um, we'll be back next time to, um, talk about this some more and, um, Oh, it, as always, if you have questions you can, or just want to correspond with us, you can reach us at podcast, um, our email for the podcast, podcast at auburnumc.church.
1: And I want to offer to, um, you can reach out through that email. Um, if you have questions, if you want to know more about my perspective or kind of my evolving theology on the issue, my experience um, within the church, Um, you're more than welcome to reach out. Um, I always say it's not anyone in the LGBTQ community's responsibility to educate others or things like that on these topics, but I'm more than happy to make myself available to anyone, no matter what side of the topic you fall on. If you just want to have somebody that you can have that real conversation with, um, I am more than happy to do that. So don't hesitate to, to reach out and we can connect more.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today and make sure that you tune in for our next episode. You can find our podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you usually listen to your podcasts. If you can't find us, let us know. We would love to connect with you. And know that you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at First UMC Auburn.
1: We also have a Facebook community that you can join called First UMC Online Community. And there you can connect with the church by participating in chats and discussion posts. You can share your prayers, thoughts, photos of your life, celebrations. Uh, We just want to get to know more about you. And uh, the purpose of this group is to grow in relationship with others, both online and then also with God. Um, Another great resource uh, for you is our website, auburnumc.church, where you can find more info on the ministries of our church, upcoming events, and lots of other fun things.
0: Take care of yourselves, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.